Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you're having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 12.46 a.m. Sunday night slash Monday morning. And honestly, I'm still buzzing a little bit from church today. Um, I missed last week. I hate missing church. Uh, So anytime I come back, I'm always like, you know, super excited and ready to have an awesome day. And today was like extra awesome. We've been planning on doing a potluck to celebrate the beginning of Spanish Heritage Month. And uh, we had, uh, we have a, a handful of people who can like actually throw down on some Spanish food. So that was fantastic. And we also have a handful of people who cannot, but brought in food anyway. And that food was also delicious. And we had a great time. Uh, I knew it was going to be fun, but I tell you what, I, I wasn't expecting how like emotional I was going to feel about the service today. Uh, we had Isaac uh, jump up on stage and sing background vocals for the whole set. And then for the last song, we sang a Spanish song that he led and Guiana sang background vocals in Spanish, which by the way, like she knows it a little bit, but I was still super impressed that she was just able to rip the Spanish off and like be amazing. Um, but Isaac, you totally like made me cry, even though it was like a, a joyous song. It was not really like a, you know, a tearjerker, but I was just so happy. Like a couple years ago when we were thinking about what different church could be, like it was days like today that I was thinking of, like the stage was full of um, queer people and women and it was joy. We were singing songs that were happy and it was multicultural and I'm just really excited. You know, I... I don't think that there's any place like different, um, certainly that, that I know of any anywhere close by. So I'm just, I'm really excited. Thank you to everybody who's been a part of what we're up to. You rock. It wouldn't happen without you. And um, yeah, that's it. I was just really happy today. Uh, in the next couple weeks, you should start hearing some info about our um, small groups. They're launching again very soon. We're going to have one Tampa group one virtual group and two St. Pete groups. That is pretty cool. We're having, uh, we have enough people to support four groups. And uh, last time the Tampa group, which is the one I'm in, was like busting at the seams. We might have to have two Tampa groups at some point. So um, that's really cool. Honestly, that's pretty much the only thing we've got going on right now. We're going to have a couple really guests, uh, really cool guest speakers coming up. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. And um, yeah, thank you. You're awesome. Uh, Hannah, take it away. We have a super fun passage of scripture to talk about. And by super fun, I mean a passage of scripture where Jesus goes off on people. <laughs> it says this in Luke 12, 49 through 53. This is Jesus talking. I have come to set the world on fire and I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me and I am under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to bring peace on earth? No. I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart. Three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. (sighs) Sorry, it's a lot. And mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I don't know why they felt the need to list all of those specifically, but they could have just said, families will be fighting, and we would have got the point. I do, did anyone notice that in the list of specific family members mentioned that mother-in-law and daughter-in-laws are mentioned? 
I find that hilarious. Like nothing has changed in 2,000 years. All family dynamics still the same? Okay. This is an odd passage though, isn't it? Like especially if you consider the beginning of Luke in chapter one, it says, Jesus will guide our feet into the path of peace. And then at the end, Jesus himself is talking to his followers and he's like, giving a benediction of peace. And in the middle, he's like, do you think I came to bring peace? No, you idiot. (laughs) It's my translation. (laughs) What is this nonsense doing in the middle? How can it be that Jesus, the same guy who tells a wonderful parable of reconciliation between an estranged father and son, be the person who is now saying, and I quote, do you think I have come to bring peace on earth? No, I have come to divide people against each other. He might as well, like in in 2022 language, he might be like, do you think I came to make y'all happy? No, I came so you would fight each other. Speaking of division, I'm pretty sure that if I took a vote of everyone, I'd be like, would you like to discuss this passage today as a preferred passage of scripture? Most of you would be like, no, thank you. I think this portion of scripture has a profound tension because it seems very out of character for Jesus. Conservative Christians are kind of in danger of preaching on these verses too much and holding them up as a justification for the harm they're doing to people. I mean, like, well, look, Jesus didn't come to bring peace, okay? It's right there in the Bible. But, but okay, y'all know I'm not going to let us off the hook either. Progressive Christians are just like, we just don't want to read those. They don't fit with our nice, happy Jesus, so we're just going to skip them. We're going to pretend he never said that, and we're going to be like, yes, peace for everyone. It's so nice. perhaps the tension cannot be resolved. We do need to learn how to exist in a a space in our faith where there is not a binary answer to every question, no matter how uncomfy it makes us. On the other hand, I do think the tension can be resolved at least a little bit. If we look at this passage not as prescriptive, but as descriptive, And by that, I mean it's not Jesus' purpose and mission in life to make children fight their parents. I'm pretty sure that's going to happen anyways, especially when you're a teenager. But this sort of conflict can easily arise when you follow the way of Jesus. So the way of Jesus, at least as we understand it here, involves things like doing the work of healing from trauma, no matter what your family thinks, even if they don't agree that you have any. It involves accepting yourself fully and then accepting each other fully, even if your family would rather you keep quiet about parts of yourself. It involves choosing love instead of choosing to be right, even or no matter how much it kills us to not get the last word in. It involves questioning instead of answering, forgiveness instead of harboring resentment, setting boundaries instead of being passive-aggressive, being truthful in our words and the way we present ourselves to the world instead of keeping quiet just to keep the peace. All those things can make it really easy to enter into conflict. Even the example I just gave of Jesus telling this beautiful story of an estranged father and son coming back together, this caused conflict. This story is called the prodigal son. Have any of you heard of this story? Yes, so... What happened was, this kid 
decided that he wanted to go live his life. And he was like, hey, I know you're not dead yet, dad, but can I have my inheritance now so I can go be the best version of myself? His dad's like, I don't think that's a good idea, but okay, knock yourself out. So he takes his money and he goes, and then he makes terrible choices. He just wastes all his money on partying, and it turns out that he doesn't have any real friends, actually, because when his money is gone, they all disappear. And he has no place to live, and he has no food, and he ends up taking care of pigs and eating their leftovers so he doesn't starve to death. And he's like, I just can't go home. They can't see me like this. I can't admit. This is terrible. But finally, he's like, these pigs are being treated better than me. I got to go home. Maybe my dad will let me like live in the barn <laughs> and work as a servant or something. So he decides to go home. His dad has missed him every day he's been gone, like sees him coming from far away on the road and runs out to meet him and gives him a giant hug and welcomes him home and forgives him before he even asks him to do that. And he's just so excited that his son is, first of all, alive and safe and home. And as a parent, that like hits me in a different kind of way. I just think about it and I want to be like, <laughs> Nova, please don't make bad decisions. But I love you so much. Uh, his dad prepares a special meal for his son. He throws a huge party for his son. It's a happy ending, right? But his older brother, who has been at home being responsible the whole time, is pissed. <laughs> he cannot understand how his brother could possibly deserve such a welcome home party after making such bad choices and wasting a ton of money and basically being a giant bum. Not only does his brother not deserve such a party, he himself does deserve a party. He has been there the whole time being a reasonable adult and no one has thrown a party for him. No one is rewarding his good behavior. What would the way of Jesus look like in a situation like this? I mean, I would argue that it's what the dad did, which is welcoming him home with open arms, not punishing him or shaming him because he was already, I mean, if you're, Eating pigs' leftovers. That's not punishment enough, don't you think? You don't have to be like, and you know what? You deserve a timeout. <laughs> or in my household, a spanking. <laughs> but in doing this, there was division created between the brothers. You see where I'm going with this, right? There are so many ways that following Jesus can create division. Let's imagine a few more scenarios, shall we? Imagine... You are the child of racist parents. And you come home and you say, as a follower of Jesus, I think we should love people of all races and make sure that they are treated equitably. As a peacemaker, following the way of Jesus, you will create division and probably a fight at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Imagine you are a corporate executive in like a Fortune 500 company and you say at a board meeting, hey, I know we're doing really great, but what I would like to do is reduce our profit margin for 10 years. <laughs> so that we can focus on creating renewable products and not these single-use plastic things and we can actually like take good care of the earth that God has entrusted to us. As a follower in the way of Jesus, you might create a problem at the board meeting. Imagine this. You're a leader in a political party that just has its whole system based on fear. We definitely can't imagine that. And you write a memo to everyone, a company-wide memo, saying, hey, we need to treat our opponents the way we want to be treated. We need to speak the truth, free of not only lies, but exaggerations. 
Even if they slander us, we cannot return their insult. In fact, we must do good to our opponents. In the name of peace, you will soon not be a politician. If a church decides to reconcile long-standing enemies or make changes to be more inclusive, it will make conflict with people who depend on the old status quo. For example, if we're going to make room for more women and queer people to be in positions of leadership in the church, that means some of the straight men who are currently running the church are going to have to step aside so that there are actual open positions for people to fill. I've been pretty vocal about that for like years now, probably half my life. Yes. <laughs> half my life now? Like there is a lot of things that can be said about my conservative, tiny, Pentecostal church that I grew up in. But one thing that I will forever be proud of is that it was founded by a woman, and an old one. She was 70. She was like, you know what I'm going to do? Start a church. And if you're 70 and you're offended that I said you're old, I think I'm old, and I'm only 33. You should have heard my knee crack this morning when I got out of bed. She started a church when she was 70. And when she retired, she passed it off to her associate pastor, who happened to be a man, and he pastored it for a while, and then he passed it off to his associate pastor, who was a woman, and is still found pastored by a woman. For my entire childhood, I was surrounded by women who were in positions of leadership in the church. And even when the pastor was male, there was zero, like, male you do what I say, Ness. I don't know what that's called. But like, they wasn't there. Women smoke regularly from the pulpit. They were involved with and leading every part of spiritual life. My mom's an, an elder and has been for like most of my life. Never in that church did I ever hear things like, well, the Bible says that you cannot be an elder in the church because we don't want to say it, but you know why. <laughs> We can't say anatomically correct words because they're dangerous. It wasn't even until I got to college at a school, a Christian school that freely offered degrees to women in theology, that I ran into the idea that women couldn't be pastors. <laughs> like, the school itself was egalitarian on paper. And honestly, most of the theology professors were egalitarian. That's great. It was fantastic, actually. But guess what else was also true? There was like two women in that whole department. Everyone else was dudes. There's nothing wrong with dudes, okay? This is not like Hannah bashes men Sunday. <laughs> I appreciate you for existing. <laughs> this has since changed in that department. There are many more women and many more people of color in that school, which I very much appreciate. Um, but the student body was a little bit split. Like some people were really for it and some people were really against it. And like I went to an academic conference one time and there was before a session was going to start, and I sat in the front row because I'm a nerd. And um, no offense to you people in the front row. <laughs> You're also nerds. <laughs> the, this old professor came in, and he was like, hey, can you make me some copies? And I was like, I would be happy to help you, except I've never been to this school before. Um, and I don't know where the copy machine is, and I don't know how to work it. It probably has a code that you have to put in. And he was like very confused by this information. And I was like, I'm just attending the conference. <laughs> I'm like, I'd be happy to help you. And then he was like, can you sit back there? Because the more serious scholars should be sitting up front. Mind you, at the time, I was in the middle of a graduate studies program on theology. <laughs> I did not move, in case you're wondering. It was a rare spark of confrontational spirit that has existed almost never in my life. 
And I wasn't like vocal about it. I was just like, no, thank you. I'm going to stay here. <laughs> My quiet resistance. Now I would be like, excuse you. I've had practice setting boundaries and I shall not move. <laughs> Like, I have been talking about this for literally half my life, so it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that it's something I talk about frequently. But I once worked at a church where I got talked to after I made a Facebook post. Okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe everything doesn't belong on social media, but this is the post. You tell me, okay? I said something along the lines of, quit telling women that if we want to serve in leadership positions, we need to start our own churches. We don't want to start our own churches. Yes, I understand the irony of this. <laughs> but at the time, I was like, I don't want to start my own stupid church. <laughs> I want to serve in the church. We want to serve in the church where we already are. Just make a little room. And that post was actually specifically directed to the Assemblies of God, of which I was a part of at the time, and because some statistics had just come out on their being egalitarian, except the lead pastor's statistics did not show that at all. So I was complaining to the void. Unfortunately, someone read it. <laughs> so I got called in, and I was working at a not an AG church, mind you. It was not even associated with the Assemblies of God. And they were like, hey, I really wish you didn't post that. And I was like, well, here's why I posted it. Also, I talk about this stuff all the time. You should know that. And it is, in fact, true that in the Assemblies of God and other denominations, women are not being allowed in positions of leadership. Either they're invited to apply and just never contacted back. Or they're just not invited to apply at all. Or they have to be married, which is a whole other tangent. Don't get me started on that soapbox right now. We'll be here all day. And then the pastor was like, well, then you should add something about how our church isn't like that because it might make us look bad. Which sounds suspiciously like that gaslighty thing that like white people say when you point out something harmful and they're like, not all white people. <laughs> or with evangelical church people, you're like, hey, this is really harmful and this is why I'm not a fan of church. And they're like, not all churches are like that. Yeah, duh. <laughs> we know. That's not the point. If we want to see more women in leadership positions in the big C church, then some men need to step down as senior pastors or pick women as their successors. If we want to see more queer people in leadership positions in the church, then some straight people are going to have to step down or pick queer people as their successors, or at the very least, invite queer people to sing and teach and preach and lead and share the stage and do everything that I saw women doing in my church growing up. I want the kids that grow up in this church to know no matter what gender identity or expression or sexuality a person is, they have equal opportunity to do the work of the Lord in a visible and meaningful way here. I want these kids to get to college and be like, I've never even heard of that you can't. What do you mean you can't? That's not how it was in my church because I got to college and I was like, what do you mean I can't be a pastor? I had an old lady pastor. <laughs> she had a beehive wig. <laughs> One time a dog pulled it off her head. <laughs> That was the funniest thing of my childhood, probably. <laughs> and guess what? All of that is going to create division. We are small enough that we don't get like too much hate mail yet, probably. <laughs> but you know what's funny? Every single nasty gram that I have received has started out by telling me that um, we're sending people straight to hell because I'm a woman and women can't be pastors. Based on what we've gotten, apparently me being female is actually a bigger problem than different church being affirming. 
which I find shocking. <laughs> or maybe they just didn't make it that far down the website. <laughs> they saw a lady face and they were like, huh? Satan. <laughs> but y'all see what I mean, don't you? <laughs> like, if we are going to be a church that makes space and room for every person who is called by God to actually do what God has put on their heart, then we are going to create division. If we are going to be a church that believes in and practices racial reconciliation, it is going to create division. White people are going to get real uncomfy. We're going to have to admit to some things that we don't like. We're going to have to do some learning and growing that's going to challenge us. BIPOC people also going to get real uncomfy <laughs> because we're going to have to practice in real time what it means to forgive 70 times 7, even to a culture and a system that doesn't seem to deserve it at all. It sucks. <laughs> I'm not like, oh, come on in and welcome to the worst experience. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I can definitely speak to this more on the white people side because, like, I'm pretty pale. I get it. Like, if we lived up north, I'd probably just blend in with the snow. It's fine. Like, my skin color has afforded me certain privileges in my life, and I know that. And I know that I will be doing the work until I die, and I accept that. And I can talk to my white people because I am one. <laughs> However, I can also speak on this as a person who is a Jew, Jewish descent. My great-grandfather left Nazi Germany, and my grandfather fought on the ground in World War II to save relatives who were in concentration camps. Um, I went, and when I was in college, to Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Museum in Israel, and it's shaped like a knife in the countryside because it's like the Holocaust was a knife that cut the Jewish people. They have a database where you can look up relatives, anyone who was killed or determined missing. And I put in my family name, and it couldn't pull them up. There were too many. The max number of people it could pull up was 1,000. And it said there were more than that. So how many more were there? How many ancestors will I never hear the stories of or never be linked to because of what happened? And again, in my graduate program, I don't know why this is turning into stories of Hannah went to college, but <laughs> next week it won't be, I promise. <laughs> In my graduate program, when I was working on my thesis, which sounds much fancier than it is, it's actually very annoying, um, I decided to write my thesis on the reconciliation in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, because I'm a glutton for punishment. And I was young and dumb and had no life experience, okay? And I still knew that the way forward was doing the work of racial reconciliation, because I have literal family that lives in Israel, and their safety weighs on my heart. And I have spiritual family that lives in Bethlehem, in the Gaza Strip, who I've had the opportunity to worship with, and their safety weighs on my heart, too. They're both family in different ways. My thesis got an A. My life didn't. Because I did not put my foot down and finally, like, stand up for inclusion and affirmation of the LGBT plus community until 2019. This was like... When did I write that thesis? Like 2010? Nine years later when God kicked me out the door <laughs> of the evangelical church and slammed it behind me. God was like, hey, I don't think you're going to do this, so punt. <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> 
I wasn't going to do it myself because I was too scared of the consequences to take that step myself. I was afraid of losing my job and my livelihood and everything that I'd worked for and my schooling and the respect of people that I respected and the love of people that I loved. And that was a justified fear. <laughs> because when God kicked me out of the church, I didn't just lose my church job, I lost my professor job teaching Bible classes. And I lost the entire community of people that I love dearly who either weren't allowed to talk to me anymore or didn't want to. My own parents and in-laws were like, I don't think you should do that. Seems like a bad idea. But the way of Jesus. Oh, y'all can come back up. I'm getting carried away. I just realized I'm almost at the end. This isn't one of those Pentecostal ones where I'm like, I'm almost finished, and then we're still here 45 minutes later. I'm scarred. My mom used to bring me crackers because she'd be like, oh, he said we're almost done. We've got at least 10 more times to go. Here's some snacks. The way of Jesus demanded that I stop focusing on my own self-preservation and actually do something about the epidemic of harm that the church has caused and is causing to the queer community. So we did, and it created a lot of division. Jesus said, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I came to set the world on fire. Yay. Yay for me. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus isn't the savior of Christians. Jesus is the savior of the whole world. There is no person on this planet who is not valuable to God. And we have to act like we believe that. And doing so may create division. And maybe it's already created division in your family, with your friends, in the churches that you were once a part of. But my prayer for us as a group, like as different church and for us all individually and for myself personally, is that God will continue to give us the strength to show up. That God will remind us daily of the amazing and beautiful gift that we have received. The grace of God that so far surpasses anything we could have imagined for ourselves. It might be as Jesus says, a heavy burden sometimes. But we can rest in the knowledge that it is a worthy burden to carry and that inclusion and healing for all people is not some far-off, ridiculous goal. It's not some nonsense that we're never going to see. It is a reality that we can partner with God to bring into existence Jesus is going to set the world on fire. It's going to have to start with us. And sometimes that requires a punt in the butt. Out the door. I don't recommend that one. doesn't feel good. So if we can possibly open ourselves up to the possibilities in advance, it will be masterless people. <laughs> but there's so much, Right? Inclusion and healing for people is not a far-off goal. It is a reality. And we get to make it so. 